This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to The Twilight Show. Thanks for joining me today. My special guest is Claire Vaughan, a teacher of Welsh who lives and works in Argentina. She's the coordinator who mentors teachers from Wales who moved to Patagonia to work on the Welsh Language Project. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to The Twilight Show, everyone. I'm Graham Stanley speaking to you live from Mexico City. As I mentioned in the introduction on today's show, I'll be talking to Claire Vaughan about her work as a teacher of Welsh in Argentina. Claire was born and bred in Wales until a change in her life brought her to Patagonia for a year as a Welsh teacher. 18 years on, she still works for the British Council-led Welsh Language Project now as the teaching coordinator, mentoring local teachers and teachers from Wales who spend a year there. She still teaches Welsh and English in various locations and at various levels, including in private institutes, 809 and online. She graduated from Aberystwyth University with a BS Ons in Welsh language and literature before completing an MSc in Educational Management at Manchester Metropolitan University. She speaks English, Welsh and Spanish and has studied French and Portuguese. She loves learning languages as much as teaching them. I'll be talking to Claire about teaching Welsh and more after the Teachers Talk Radio News. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly and access actionable data that drives student success. On the 24th to the 26th of January, 2024, Bet UK is back, and even better for educators. New for 2024, Table Talks empowers educators to collaborate openly and connect deeply with like-minded individuals in the education space, as well as Tech User Labs, the brilliant new tutorials, and working groups at BET, where technology users will learn how to get more out of their institution's tech from the top education technology experts in the world. Whatever your goal, you'll find it at BET 
2024. Educators go free. Get your tickets today at www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The big political news this week was the launch of the DfE in England's consultation on how best to implement minimum levels of service in schools if teaching and support staff unions go on strike. The BBC reports that education unions who were involved in talks with government over MSLs called the announcement shameful. One of the two options being put forward is to guarantee that vulnerable children, those due to take exams, children of critical workers and all primary school pupils can go into school on strike days. A leaked DfE document suggests that this amounts to 74% of pupils. In October, Education Secretary Gillian Keegan said MSLs would be introduced with the unions on a voluntary basis at first. But the government could use legal powers brought in earlier this year under the Strikes Act. The DfE says the plans will protect education. The consultation will last nine weeks. All four teaching unions involved in talks reacted angrily to the announcement. Much of the media focus in recent days has been on the inquest into the death of Ruth Perry. The Guardian featured a report focusing on comments made by colleagues of the late head teacher, which focused on her evident distress during the days of the inspection. Much has been made of comments from Ofsted inspectors that Mrs Perry was upset, tearful and looked like she was in pain. The inquest began after Mrs Perry's family discovered that its bid for legal aid had been rejected, but a crowdfunding campaign saw donations totalling more than £63,000. Behaviour in schools has also been a hot topic on both sides of the England-Scotland border. The Dunfermline Press reported that five councils' education chiefs are trying to curb a rise in violence in schools, but they don't believe in negative consequences. Instead, children learning about bullying should be an empowering experience. In a new version of the anti-bullying policy, the aim is stated that children do not bully others because they understand the harm it causes and choose not to cause such harm. It goes on to say where children do choose to bully, we need to engage with them educationally, supportively and restoratively rather than punitively. Comments on the paper's website, however, appear to show disapproval of the policy, with one comment describing it as utter nonsense and another saying it was psychobabble. The draft policy has been issued to head teachers, guidance staff and educational psychologists for their views, before schools are asked to create a personalised policy for their setting based on the final draft. Meanwhile, over the border in England, The Guardian reports that head teachers are describing a culture of non-compliance among pupils and parents. Whereas once a parent who was called into school to discuss concerns was likely to be broadly supportive of teachers' decisions, now heads are saying parents more often side with their child and take to social media to register their feelings. Many heads also say that behaviour has changed from having to deal with lesson disruption to managing internal truancy, as pupils come to school to socialise but refuse to attend lessons to learn. 
Some leaders also highlighted an increase in verbal abuse and swearing. Head teachers also pointed out that whilst challenging behaviour is nothing new, non-compliance is on the increase and the reduction in the availability of specialist support services has made matters worse. One leader summed up the current situation. Since COVID, people seem to be far less tolerant, and that includes pupils and parents. Popular quiz show University Challenge is in the news as the BBC reports that a Christmas episode has been pulled after two contestants complained about a lack of provision for their disabilities. According to the report, contestants were not provided with promised audio description for visual images or subtitles to help with audio processing. The BBC agreed to withdraw the episode after the complaints were received. Finally, the BBC features a report on a civil servant who quit her Whitehall job to retrain as a teacher. The former employee of the DfE began teacher training in 2022, and Ms Melbourne is just one example of over 35s joining the profession, according to charity New Teach. Research suggests that recent graduates are shunning the profession but older people are stepping up to fill the gap. Figures also suggest that older starters stay in the profession longer than the national average and are more representative of society in terms of gender and ethnicity. Could this be a solution to a recruitment crisis? This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Hello and welcome back everyone. Welcome in particular to my special guest, Claire. Claire, thank you so much for joining me. What have you been up to today? Well, thanks for the invitation, first of all. I've had a, a very lazy day. It's uh, it's just past lunchtime here, so uh, it was a nice morning of drinking coffee, catching up with the news, and just generally relaxing after a busy week. Very nice. And um, are you... You normally work Monday to Friday, is that right? Well, yes, unless there is some special event going on, which very often there is. But uh, yes, today it's getting towards the end of term here because our school year finishes in December. And so things are getting getting quieter, thankfully. Of course. And uh, the weather's getting a little bit warmer, I, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to be in spring, but um, I'm afraid to say that uh, it's very, very slow appearing and we've had rain and high winds oh. and I was just looking out of the window now and I've got a beautiful view of the Andes and they're covered in fresh snow. <laughs> oh, wow, of course. I suppose it doesn't get very hot in Patagonia, uh, unlike in other parts uh, further north in Argentina. Yes, well... Uh, I think global warming has reached here and we've been having some hot summers uh, the last couple of years. It's been like 30, 32, 33 uh, on a good day and very dry. So it's it's interesting to see how the winters appear to be getting longer and wetter uh, and the summers appear to be getting shorter and drier. Wow, yeah. Just for those people who've never been to that part of Argentina, Patagonia. Could you describe a little bit about um, the nature of it, what the geography's like, etc., to put people in, uh, mm. give people a good picture of it? Yes, well, pa Patagonia is is mythical, isn't it? Um, mm. uh, there there have been books written about it, and and people have their dream to to go to Patagonia. Even Argentinians have a, a dream to come to Patagonia. 
Uh, and the part that we live in is only a small part of Patagonia, which is basically all of the Argentinian uh, side of the border and the Chilean side from the south of Buenos Aires to the south tip of the continent. So it's a massive area. So that the part that we're, we live in is the province of Chubut. And so that's kind of in the middle, really, uh, 42 degrees south, if that means anything to anybody. Um, and it's an absolutely huge space that the province in itself, uh, I think the the uh, population density is something like one person per square kilometer or 1.5 people per square kilometer. Whereas, you know, back in Britain, we're on 250 people per square kilometer. So first of all, it's a very uh, empty space, but absolutely beautiful because you've got the, the coast on the east. Um, with all the the animals that you would expect to find, including penguins, some of the most northerly mm. penguins in the world. Um, and then you come across what is basically steppe, which reaches a height of about a thousand meters. So it's it's very high, very windy, very windswept, uh, not many trees on that part. And then you carry on your journey upwards and you reach the Andes, which at this level are around 2000 meters. The, the highest mountains that we've got here near to us, I think it's just over 2000, 2200 meters, something like that. So there's an incredible difference between the west and the east of the country. And even in the, the steppe, which you think, you know, what grows in the steppe, there, there are animals, there are um ostrich there are guanaco which are the llamas that live down here um and there are farms you know the the classic sheep farm of patagonia is is still there and uh, people are still working there so it's an incredible space um with very different um ecosystems from the west to the east amazing and i must say i had the wonderful opportunity to actually visit a little bit of patagonia several years ago when i was living in uruguay and made a mm. made a trip there and uh we flew to uh from buenos aires to bariloche which mm -hmm. was was amazing it was fascinating it was a bit i i i thought it was a bit like either well what you'd find for me in the lake district with beautiful <laughs> lakes and mountains, but on a scale of 10 times higher and 10 times bigger than anything I'd seen in the Lake District, but wonderful. That's, yes, that's it. People say to me, um, you know, is Trevelin, which is where I live, um, yeah. is it like Wales? And I suppose it is in, in as much as there's water and it's green and, you know, here there are forests and mountains, but yes, they're like, you know, super steroid mountains. They're much bigger than, uh, than what we've got back home in, in Wales. Yeah. And then, and then we decided to take a, um, we, we wanted to go down to Perito Moreno, which is a famous glacier. And we decided to take a bus there and it took us 24 hours to take a bus right. there. And the road was, there was like one road until I thought it was going to be more sort of diverse in the terms of what we'd be able to see out the window but it was like desert <laughs> on the left exactly. desert on the right but it was it was a fascinating trip and well worth it yes yeah that that kind of bus journey is 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 very common here you know because it, yeah. it used to be the cheapest way of getting around it's definitely you're not the quickest 
And uh, yes, I've heard people say that, that you know, that you, you go on the bus because you'll be able to see things. But um, there is a limit to how much uh, emptiness you can take in, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, I I highly recommend it. If anyone mm. out there listening fancies going to Patagonia, I think it's, it's a wonderful experience and, and just a Definitely. beautiful place to visit, really. Yeah, definitely. Of course, I'm a fan. Of course, yeah. You've been there, what, um, 18 years, is that right? I have, yes. I, I came for a year and uh, I fell in love with the place, first of all, um, before falling in love with one of its inhabitants. So, uh, yes, I can't believe that so much time has passed. But uh, Fantastic. Yeah, I feel quite a local. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Well, before I get into um, your work teaching Welsh and working with mm. uh, local and uh, other teachers who come from Wales, um, I'd like to ask you just about you becoming a teacher and how mm. I, I always ask my guests this, um, how, it, how it was that you became interested in education and becoming involved in teaching. Mm. Well, I, I used to love school. I was one of those nerdy people who always enjoyed school. And the thing that I enjoyed most of all were languages. Um, in my family, uh, we're, we're Welsh. My, my mother's surname was Williams and my dad's is Vaughan. So, you know, we've got good pedigree. But unfortunately, the language was lost somewhere along the line and not passed on from one generation to the next. And so when I went to school, I had the opportunity to learn it and to, to regain that part of my ancestry. Um, and so I, I, from quite an early age, I, I enjoyed the idea of, of you know, passing the knowledge that I was gaining on to other people. Um, and so I went to university. I did a degree in Welsh language and literature. And to be quite honest, I remember thinking, well, what am I going to do with my life now? And uh, it seemed a good idea to stay on for an extra year and do the, the teaching certificate, the PGCE, uh, which I did. And I ended up in a job in my old school, which was very strange. Um, but I, I just loved language teaching from from the beginning. And as I say, that thing of passing on to others what you've you've learned yourself is is a great privilege. So I, I did that for quite a few years and I, well, I had several changes in my, in my personal life and I thought, you know, am I going to be sitting here uh, marking exam scripts until I retire? Uh, there must be more out there. And I, I started looking at jobs and, and one was to go to China to teach English. And I actually went to an open day and I thought, mm, this is a bit too different, whereas if I could do something to do with English or Welsh teaching, it would be more in my in my field. And lo and behold, uh, an advertisement came out in one of the Welsh newspapers. Do you want a challenge? Why not go to teach Welsh in Patagonia? And I thought that's perfect. It's it's something I feel really at home doing, which is teaching Welsh, but in a different place, which will be completely new to me. Uh, and so, so that's how I came here. And that's basically, you know, I've, I've always been a teacher. It's, it's what I love doing. And, uh, well, I hope I can keep doing it for many years to come. Fabulous. That's, uh, quite a story. Um, <laughs> and so was it that you arrived in Patagonia and thought, yes, this is where I want to be. I'm mm. going to stay here. Or was it more of a case of, um you went for a year you thought i'll stay for another year stay for another year and then circumstances 
meant that you have ended up staying for 18? Was it, what was it, which which of the two was it or was it something else? Yeah, uh, I remember when I got the job, uh, I got a phone call because I actually wasn't at home and they left a message on the answering machine which said, uh, congratulations, you're going to the Andes. And I remember thinking, I have absolutely no idea where this, you know, I knew where the Andes were, obviously, but I didn't have an idea what what the, the communities were like and so on. And I can remember coming into Buenos Aires on the on the plane on my first visit thinking, what have I done? Where am I going? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> but the, the very first afternoon that I arrived, um, some very nice people from the community came and picked me up from the from the airport. And of course they were speaking Welsh and this was just like the craziest thing because you can imagine, you know, Buenos Aires is one of the biggest cities, uh, well, the biggest city in South America now. And, uh, you know, all the craziness of the city. And then I ended up in Escal Airport with these people speaking Welsh and they took me for tea. They'd prepared a tea for me. And you know the kind of high tea that we don't have anymore in Britain? Oh, uh, yes. Well, maybe at posh restaurants and things, but, you know, at your grandma's house where there were sandwiches with the crusts cut off and cakes, homemade cakes. Well, it was exactly that. And I remember thinking, gosh, you know, I feel I felt straight away at home. I didn't feel such a, a stranger in a strange place. Um, so I think I settled very quickly in that respect because um, I was with people who looked Welsh, spoke Welsh, <laughs> had a lot of the, the cultural uh, references that we had, and yet they were Argentinian. And so that is a very interesting uh, situation because uh, you get lulled into this false sense of security, you know, that these people are exactly like me. And uh, that's not the case because they are South Americans, you know, they are Latinos. Um, but I, I loved my first year. I loved all the opportunities that I got. I was teaching anything between uh, children from three years upwards to adults who had never had a Welsh lesson in their lives and yet were absolutely fluent. And I had a, a, an old lady who was 82 who came to my classes the first time that she'd ever um, seen any Welsh, on, written Welsh, apart from the Bible, you know. And, uh, and so it was fascinating. And I thought, yeah, this is what I needed, a whole shakeup of, of everything that I was doing as a teacher. And very challenging, <laughs> trying to to cover all bases. But um, they asked me to stay for a second year and I, I said yes straight away. And uh, at the end of that year, there'd been very little response to, to the jobs, which I can't understand because this is a, a fabulous opportunity for anybody who, who wants to just have a, a change, you know, that, uh, that thing of doing what you feel confident doing, but in a different environment. Um, and so they asked me to stay for another year. And yes, that was the year that I, I met my, my now husband. So... Uh, so, yes, it was a little bit of that, but I, I did feel very at home straight away. Fantastic. That's uh, amazing. And, um, well, a mutual friend of ours, Martin Ayres, um, sent me a link to a, an article he wrote, which was fascinating about the origins of how this Welsh community and uh, uh, and, and the first settlers ended up being there. And... I think in that article, he kind of finishes with this idea of um, the identity of the Welsh-speaking 
Argentinians there is, is very much Argentinian um, nowadays, which maybe wasn't the case generations in the past. Uh, is that something that you can identify with? Do you think that it, how is the kind of Welsh Argentinian identity of the of the people there? Mm, that's it's a very interesting question, isn't it? Because when the Welsh came here. Uh, there were some native people living here in a nomadic kind of existence, mm -hmm. but they were they were isolated culturally, socially, which was actually what they wanted. They wanted right. to to keep the language, to keep their customs, to keep the the religion, the Protestant faith. You know, they brought those things with them, and by being geographically isolated, they they succeeded in keeping them. However, the Argentinian government. Uh, Argentina is a relatively young country, you know, it mm -hmm. uh, got its independence from Spain in 1810. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's still in formation. And one of the things that the Argentinian government were trying to do was, was one country, one language, and therefore one culture. Um, and so the Welsh tried to, to, to fight against that to a certain degree. But of course, um, when the Argentinian government saw the success that was being made of Chubut as a farming region, um, they brought in national schools and the language of the national schools was Spanish. And so you had this kind of the, the two cultures coming together. And of course, what happens when you're five years old and you go to school and it's the first time you hear Spanish, which is what happened not so far uh, ago. I've got uh, pupils now who are in their uh, in their seventies, and that was their experience. That at home they spoke Welsh, but when they went to school, they spoke Spanish for the first time. And of course, it was a a thing of embarrassment that they didn't understand what the teacher was saying to them, and and so on. And so that's when Welsh began to lose a little bit of its of its ground. Um, because the families realized that to avoid their children's distress, it would be good for them to speak Spanish. And of course, the language slowly began to, to turn to Spanish. We're one nation, we under one flag, so therefore we, we need one language. And so there is a little bit of this kind of duality because um, a lot of the values that the Welsh brought with them are, are still here. You know, um, there are three bilingual Welsh Spanish schools in, in Chubut now. And one of the things that they're very keen to emphasize is the fact that they've got these, these kind of values like cooperation and, and working together and overcoming difficulties by hard work, you know? So it, there's kind of, without the language, there are other things that, that uh, are part of the culture too. Um, but people do consider themselves Argentinian first and foremost, obviously. You know, sometimes people come from Wales with the the idea that um, they're going to meet Welsh people. Well, no, they were Welsh people 150 years ago, but they're now Argentinians with this extra, extra culture, if you like. Uh, and so <laughs> we had the, the Rugby World Cup not so long ago, didn't we? And uh, Wales and Argentina... Um, were against each other. Well, that, that was very difficult. Which side are we going to support? You know, <laughs> I can imagine. What What about in your family? Was it divided, or oh. were you firmly behind Wales? No, 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 definitely divided. Uh, I was for Wales, and my husband was for Argentina. 
So uh, we, we kind of said before the match, we'll be happy whichever side wins. But as the Pumas, as the Argentinians won, I was a little bit disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. That's fascinating. Um, and so what about the motivation to learn Welsh? Is there a strong motivation to to carry on the, the, the language and culture to keep it alive? Or is that something you have to work hard with? No, um, one of the things that tired me of being a teacher in northeast Wales was the fact that you're you're so close to the border. There were pupils who came yeah. from from England, and so you'd get the why do I have to learn Welsh? And you know, for me, first of all, why learn any language? We could all probably speak English, and we could go around the world, and you know, we'd we'd be fine. So so why learn any language? The, you know, the, there is a, a value, an intrinsic value in learning a language. Um, and of course, here there is absolutely no economic reason to learn Welsh. You're not going to get a better job if you speak Welsh. But I see that the people are very connected through um, their their family history. Um, I, I'd say there's three motivations, uh, if you can have a plural of motivation. There are three <laughs> things that motivate people. Um, I would say one would be the families that did speak Welsh a couple of generations ago and you know are sorry that they've lost that and so they they are coming back you know the Evanses, the robertses the the yeah. thomases the owens um so that's that's something that's very heart based isn't it you know it's in the in their heart uh, mm-hmm. then you've got people um where we live in Trevelyan, for example there is uh, a huge movement from some of the larger cities uh, people looking for a, a quieter life looking for a uh, a better place to raise their children and they choose this welsh town and they think oh that's interesting there's something going on here oh they've got dance groups that uh, do welsh dancing and there's a choir that sings welsh songs and oh i want to learn about this and and they come into classes with that kind of interest um and then you get those who are probably speak english already and say oh another language let let me learn this maybe they speak portuguese as well or uh, and so they they come into classes from the from the linguistic point of view so i i'd say that those are the the three groups of people that we're seeing and of course then they send their children to the, to the welsh spanish schools wow which of those three motivations i'm going to continue using the plural uh <laughs> is the most important or the most most people have do you think yeah i i would say this connection with with the past uh and with with the history of the province because it was the welsh who came here first it was them who who battled against the climate and the landscape to to make a future and so i, I think that's the one that that people do recognize, you know, and you can be in a taxi in Buenos Aires and say you're from Chibut and the, the taxi driver will say, oh, yes, that's a Welsh colony, isn't it? Um, of course, nowadays we don't use the word colony, you know, it's a settlement. Yes. But, um, <laughs> yes, but uh, people do know about it, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's something that connects them to the past, but also um, in modern day times, uh, we've got quite a lot of connections with Wales, with with Britain, um, and one of the biggest ones is tourism. There are many, many right. tourists 
who have grown up in Wales listening to these stories about this place over the sea where people speak Welsh. And one of their dreams is to visit this place. You know, as I said, Patagonia is quite mythical. And so um, a lot of people save up for, for years to, to come out and experience it for themselves. And what I love uh, when you meet these people is that they can't believe there's so much Welsh. Um, you know, it's it's not wow. something that you're going to hear on the street necessarily. But if you know the right people, you can end up going to chapel, you can end up going for a beer, you can end up having supper, you can end up getting invited to go for a, a drive in the car. You know, if you meet the right people, uh, you can have a, a totally Welsh experience. And so uh, when the tourist groups come over, that's what we try to do uh, to give them the whole the whole show, if you like. But uh, it's an introduction to the the life that we live here. Amazing. And what about the other way? Do the people um, that live in the Welsh settlements in Patagonia have a desire or um, to go and visit the homeland, to go to Wales? Oh, yes, <laughs> that's a dream for a lot of people here. Um, I don't know if uh, if the listeners are up to date on the uh, what's happening in Argentina this year. Oh yes, but we've reached a hundred and two percent inflation, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's actually it means that everything is like twice as expensive as it was a, a couple of months ago. So the idea of of getting an airfare and and going over to Europe is is a privilege uh, that not everybody. <laughs> can can run to but what is great is that through the links that we have with wales there are possibilities for scholarships so um for example there is a, a welsh argentine society and they work with the british council on the project that that i work on and there are three scholarships offered every year for students to go and oh, that's um, great improve their welsh yes so that's great and then there's a new um scholarship that's happened in the last couple of years which is for somebody to go not to just to to sit in welsh classes or, or meet people but to actually work so we had somebody who works for the tv here and they went to Wales and had like placements in different television companies and on the radio. And uh, and so that was a great experience. And, you know, it just creates links that, uh, you know, forges friendships, really. That's fabulous. That's really, really good to hear. And um, yes, it's a shame about the, um, the hyperinflation in Argentina, which has <laughs> meant that it's less likely for people to be able to go um, other than with scholarships, et cetera, as you say. Mm. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the, the case. It's made it quite an attractive place for people from Europe. <laughs> but yes, uh, unfortunately, we don't. But it's important that uh, visitors come here as well, because that gives the learners a real reason to to learn Welsh, because when the, the visitors come, they can try out their Welsh, whatever level they're on, you know, they can uh, they can practice their questions and they can speak to real people. Um, yeah. I think yeah. now I'm not really considered a real person in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> they see me as too much part of the Argentina. Um, yeah. So well, when people come from Wales. That's a good thing in a way, because it means you're very integrated into the society yes. and culture. Yes, yes. Sometimes I think a little too, um, little too relaxed, you know, um, the, the Latino thing of, 
of not having plans and just seeing what happens. Um, I'm going to Wales soon uh, for the for the Christmas holidays, and right. I'm thinking I really ought to make some plans because I know that in in Britain people are very driven by the the timetable, and you know we can see you on Friday between eight and <laughs> so. Uh, I think I might have to become a little less Argentinian. Oh, how would you say that in English? A little less Argentinian, yeah. Argentinian, yeah. Um, yes. And what about the variety between the Welsh that is spoken in Wales and the Welsh that is spoken in Patagonia? Is there much, if any, difference in accent or vocabulary, etc.? Mm, that's an interesting question. Um, the people who spoke Welsh as children, they still have that vocabulary that they heard in their homes, you know, so it's a very yeah. homely uh, kind of Welsh. So the names of um, puddings or the names of fruits are, are things that they've learned there. And what is interesting is quite a lot of them are in English. And uh, that would be because when the first settlers came out, uh, English was the language of schooling. And so right. they learned, you know, peaches, plums, pears. They learned that kind of vocabulary um, through school. And of course, these people don't necessarily speak English here. They may speak Welsh and Spanish, but not English, which again is incredible right. uh, to think that there is a place in the world <laughs> where English is not king. Um, but uh, they, they swear that peaches is is a Welsh word because their grandmother used it, you know, and and that must be it. that must be Welsh. Um, so what is the Welsh for one. for peaches? Oh, it's a hard word. It's geshig. Geshig, okay. <laughs> geshig, yeah, with that the aspirate in the middle. Um, right. So that's yes, that's that's interesting. And the, there is a word in in Wales. We are a very small country. We have two million seven hundred fifty thousand people. Mm -hmm. You know, we're a very small culture, and yet we have lots of different words for the same thing. So um, I don't know if you've heard of Welsh cakes, but they are a, a delicacy that we have. Yes, you'd remember if you tried one. <laughs> They're very, very buttery uh, kind of griddle scone. So uh, yes. they're done on a, a griddle. And there right. are different um, names for them depending on where you come from. Okay. Um, so I would say Kakenai Cree. And then my friend who lives down the road would say pick out a mine. And then somebody else would say uh, and some people even use Welsh cakes in, in Welsh. And it's interesting that the people here say in fashion, little old fashioned cakes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. Yes, it's great. So, yes. And then, of course, the, the new learners, so people who've not had that um, Welsh background in their families or at home, um, they're learning from the courses that we use in Wales with adult learners. So, yeah. you know, uh, the, the European levels. And we tend to use the North Walian version because there are two versions, a North Walian and a South Walian. Um, right. Welsh is not divided quite so neatly as that. But um, we found that uh, 
it's more North Walian than, than South Walian. You know, the people who came out, there must have been some strong characters from North Wales and they right. kind of put, put the stamp on the Welsh. So when we teach the new learners, we try to teach them a Welsh that reflects uh, the, the, the language that was spoken here very widely until, until recently. Um, with a few exceptions, you know, there are some words that uh, they wouldn't, for example, we have two words in Welsh for like. One is hoffy and the other one is licio. Well, licio has come from the English as far as I'm concerned. So I would prefer yeah. to use hoffy. It's, it's, you know, it's more authentic. And it's interesting that people here would not use licio. Naturally, I've never heard anybody use that. Um, they would use hoffy. So that's a more South Walian thing. So it's it's an interesting mix, fascinating. And um, Dr. Iwan Rees from Cardiff University has yeah. been out here to do some um, investigation into the accent and, and where the words come from. So he's given us some help in um, adapting the courses that we use from Wales so that they do reflect the, the language of, of Chubut, the language of Patagonia. That's fascinating. I think it's it's great that the there's a kind of a variety that is Patagonian Welsh actually as well. It makes it sort of a, a living language, doesn't it? Yes, that that's another thing that people do. Of course, they they translate like like we do it in Welsh in Wales. We use the English word. Well, here they use the Spanish word. So if somebody wants you to come into their house, they would say pasuch from pasar. In, wow. in Spanish, meaning to come in. And so um, they, they've, you know, little things like that. And um, if somebody says a diolch, um, thank you, the mm -hmm. answer would be croeso in Wales. You'd say, you're welcome. Um, people here say, dois raid uh, no hay por qué. There's no need. <laughs> so uh, Love it. little things like that. Yes, very interesting. That's uh, fantastic. And, um, well, what about the actual teaching, Claire? Do you, mm. you, you said before that you teach quite a big age range. Um, mm. Do you teach or do you have people who come over from Wales, et cetera, or the local teachers teach in schools and adults as well? Is it kind of a typical range for teachers to actually to be teaching primary, secondary, etc and adults or is it uh, do people specialize yeah so um the the welsh project which is funded by the the welsh government and um it's managed by the british council because they have a lot of experience in these things sending people off around the world um advertise for three teachers for every academic year from wales and the idea is that they will come with their different specialities and they will help the the people who are here on the on the ground doing the doing the hard work and what you often find is that people do a little bit of everything yes um you know i can think of people who work in a primary school during the day and then they they teach the adults in the evening um so that's that's quite common because the people who are teaching welsh are not necessarily teachers that's that's a a bit All awkward right. but uh, you mean the people, people who come or the the people who are no, there sorry. teaching yes the, the the people uh the locals if you like the local tutors 
uh, they're very often people who've learned Welsh very well, and so they want to pass it on to others. Right. Um, and so they're in the in the situation. But I, I have to say, I think if you've got uh, if your heart's in the subject, it's it's a good start. And so part of my job is trying to to m- mentor and uh, monitor the the local tutors, um, and you know give them a hand. Uh, they've got the courses, which are very detailed, you know, and so just give them tips on on how to how to teach them. Uh, and that was a great thing about <laughs> now that it's over, the pandemic had its uh, bonuses. And, and one of those is right. um, that we could meet every week uh, and do a session on some element of of uh, of teaching that maybe people had never had never thought about before you know um you learn the language yourself and if you're a good language learner you probably don't analyze what you did and how and so uh, that was an opportunity to to do that uh, and it's sad really that since we've gone back to normal life whatever that might be um people are so busy um because there are you know obviously a minority who who can speak Welsh, and so they are the ones who are wanted in every in the Welsh Association and in the Welsh dancing group and in the school and and so there's a, a big demand on their time. So the idea is that these three teachers come from Wales and work alongside the local tutors to to share the best practice that they can. Of course, now we've got three Welsh Spanish primary schools. Um, we've got staff who are just involved in the in the schools from you know all day. They're in the in the in the classroom, trying to immerse the students in as much Welsh as they can in the in the timetable as the timetable will allow. And so um, we do need people to come from Wales and uh, and bring their expertise with them because it's uh, it's it's very difficult for teachers in in Argentina to have continuing professional development. Um, I don't see that there is a a big emphasis on that, not in Chubut at least. I mean, maybe in in the bigger cities, there is a lot more interest paid to it. But here in Chubut, unfortunately, the education system has been run down. And so we're, we're dealing with that kind of fallout as well as trying to motivate and support so uh, yes, it's it's quite a challenge. I can imagine. And you said um, that it was difficult when you uh, first came over that uh, to get uh, enough Welsh teachers. Uh, that some some years, the second year, you said that you stayed on. One of the reasons was because they couldn't find someone to to actually come over. Is that still the case, or is it uh, quite a popular thing now? Well, it's uh, <laughs> again, I, I think the, the, the pandemic has had a, an effect on that. Um, I guess the, I get the feeling that people, instead of saying, I've only got one chance, I want to get out there and live all the experiences that I can, they, they've actually become quite home birds and uh, not quite yeah. so confident about traveling. So I think that's put a lot of people off. And of course, um, <laughs> In Britain, it's nothing like the hundred and odd percent inflation that we have here, but there is yeah. inflation. And so people who would be quite happy to come out uh, think, of, oh, I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got a car to pay off, you know, and and so the the financial 
insecurity doesn't help. Because, of course, when you advertise one of these jobs, uh, you're advertising it with a local salary. Well, mm. that at the moment is £750 a month, which if you look at it like that, <laughs> that's somebody's mortgage payment, probably. Um, yeah. So that that isn't attractive. What you don't realise is that makes you a king here. <laughs> <laughs> with right. £750 a month, you can you can basically uh, enjoy yourself, you know. Um, so it's, it's hard to get that over to people as well. Uh, and it's not just the money, is it? It's the experience. Um, I can't imagine what my life would have been like without having this opportunity. And the 99% of the people who come out on these jobs they absolutely love it. And, you know, it's, it's really hard for them to, to go back to leave what they've started. And many have done in two years, uh, which is great, because I honestly think you, you do better in your second year when you know how things work and you know who, yeah. to, who to refer to and, and all the rest. Um, so, you know, I would say probably we end up with quite young candidates who haven't yet got into all the the house owning and and uh, credit card payments um or people who are at the other end of their careers that are maybe taking early retirement but they still feel they've got some energy and they would like to to use it in in our project so uh, that's what we're seeing at the moment is is those two extremes and it would be quite nice to have some people in the middle <laughs> of course but what you say makes makes a lot of sense what about people who come over and uh, as you did fall in love with the place and decide they want to stay are there opportunities to do that or is it quite strict as in after two years you should uh, there should be someone else coming in Yes, I, I think one of the things that is difficult about the project is this constant turnover of people. But I think one of the beauties of the project is this constant turnover of the people, you know, there's two right. sides to, to everything. And it's great for the, the students to develop a relationship with people because they, they react in a different way. Uh, Argentinians are super sociable um super they, they love getting together they love getting to know new people um you know it's not unusual that you meet somebody at the bus stop and, and end up going for a meal with them um they just love talking to people so uh, from that point of view um now why was i saying that <laughs> i've forgotten where i was going with that um oh yes so if you stay for more than one year you probably make friends for life uh, so that's, you know, that's really nice. But it's also good for uh, the students to have different accents, different teachers with different skills. Uh, you know, sometimes mm. people will put an emphasis on something and maybe not pay attention to pronunciation, for example, um, whereas another teacher will come along and they will be very keen on it. Um, something strange that happened that I will mention during the pandemic, we had three teachers. It was like the dream team. Wow. We had a primary specialist. We had an adult specialist and we had a lady who'd worked with uh, nursery children, but was working in a secondary school. So it was like fantastic. And of course, they came Amazing. out in, in February <laughs> and by March, Argentina was closing its borders because mm. the, the, the pandemic had arrived. And two of the three decided to go home 
And one of them optimistically said, oh, I'm sure it'll be over in a few months. I'll stay. <laughs> and so basically she spent the year holed up uh, in her flat in Trelew, which is the other side of the province from the uh, from the from the Andes. It's it's the the Dufrin, the valley, the lower Chubut Valley. Um, but uh, we had to reinvent ourselves. And so she ended up doing classes online. And the great thing was that when she went back to Wales, she could still carry on doing classes online. And oh, this developed into a YouTube channel, which if people are learning Welsh or learning Spanish, it works very well because it's called Gales con Marian. And Marian does these little videos on different elements of the language. And I think one of the things she did was learn Welsh in 10 lessons, you know, something basic to get people started. So that that was a good another good thing from the from the pandemic. And, and it had a, a consistency, you know, that people could carry on with Marian afterwards, which is an advantage of teaching online, of course. Oh, wow, that's great. I've just I've just looked it up and there it is. Yeah, Galiscon Marian. That's uh, interesting. <laughs> I'll explore that a little bit further and watch some of those videos. Thanks for sharing. Yes. That. That's great. So um, you were able to switch talking about the pandemic you were able to switch quite easily mm. to teaching people online did people have the equipment the connectivity to be able to do that or was it as in most of the world uh, quite a challenge and problematic oh yes to begin with it was it was terrible because everybody went online and our internet here is not even fiber optic um, it's kind of uh, big satellite dishes that beam it right. out to little receivers. So depending on the weather, <laughs> if it's windy or rainy, the signal is bad. Um, and what we found, we tried to do with the with the primary school kids, but it just didn't work. You know, online does it's very difficult to make it work for for children. I think. And a lot of the children, if they had the opportunity, went off to the farm to stay with grandparents or, or what have you. So they were out of um, uh, Internet reach anyway. But what we did see were a lot of adults joining because they had time on their hands and they wanted right. to do something useful. Uh, and so we did, you know, we did make this change. And of course, nobody uh, I had never heard of Zoom until we suddenly had to turn all our classes into into virtual ones. Um, but it was great because what we found was not only were we teaching people in Chubut, but people who had left uh, here to go to university, they were available. And people who'd settled in Buenos Aires, uh, they were all of a sudden, they, they could learn Welsh. And it's it's fantastic. We, we um, we also do the WJC uh, exams for adults, the Welsh exams. Uh, and this year we had uh, three people come from Buenos Aires to, to sit them and one girl from Uruguay. You'd be pleased to hear from Montevideo. So um, oh, that was a benefit. Mm, yes. So it meant that we could uh, spread our wings a bit more. So that was great. That's great. So there is an interest in learning Welsh um, in outside of Argentina as well in, in other parts of South America, is that that you know? Of? Yes, yes. There's quite a big community in, in Chile who would like to like to be able to uh, attend classes, you know, online. So, is that because um, of that... proximity and because they've maybe visited and have kind of saw something no. they thought we want or is it something else? There is a historical reason. So um, where we live in Trevelin, 
1902, there was um, a situation that the border hadn't been defined between Chile and Argentina. In 1902, right. this was okay. not so long ago. Wow. And it was almost going to come to a, a military situation. And so the government invited um, a person from England who was going to be the arbiter, uh, arbiter, referee, <laughs> what would you say? Uh, a person <laughs> yeah, from Chile and Perito Moreno, who was the, the, um, the person who provided the uh, evidence for Argentina. So basically yeah. they said uh, the high mountains should be the division. Um, and the Chileans said, no, no, it should be the division of waters, the, the, the watershed. If the water goes to the Pacific, the land is Chile. And if it goes to the Atlantic, it's Argentina. Mm, well, that's not very, um, you can't really trust that because it's possible to change the direction of water yeah. and so on. And of course, where we are, all our water goes to the Pacific, which is incredible, but it, it goes round oh. and through the Andes to the Pacific. So Argentina would have lost this huge amount of land. So basically, uh, Sir Thomas Holditch said, um, this land belongs to Argentina. And what do the local people think about that? And of course, the local people who were Welsh had all their relatives down in Gaiman and so on, and they put their hands up, a show of hands, that they were they were happy with that decision. But there were a couple of families who didn't want to be part of Argentina anymore because they felt that oh, they hadn't right. been they hadn't been given all the, the things that the government had said to entice them to come here. Mm -hmm. And Chile was offering double the land. If if somebody went over to Chile and settled, they would get twice the amount of land that they would have in Argentina. So a few families went over to Chile and from that uh, this other settlement was born, which I've only recently read about. And uh, no, it's incredible. So there are Welsh families in, in Chile as well. And are they as vibrant as the ones in Patagonia in Argentina? Or or is oh, that not the not case? Not yet. <laughs> I think but they've I'll... just begun to make connections with right. their their cousins in in Argentina. So no, no. As far as I know, it's a very small, uh, very small group at the moment. But you know, you never yeah. know. That's an Sounds like there's an opportunity there for the project that uh, runs the, the the sending the teachers from Wales to do the same in Chile, maybe in the future. Exactly. That's that would be great, wouldn't it? That would be another experience altogether. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And I take it you haven't visited this place yet. No, not yet. I, I, it's a, we live 35 kilometers from the border with Chile. And right. in the early days of the project, when I was a teacher, <laughs> um, we didn't have visas because the Argentinian oh. visa system is terrible. So it just meant a little hop over the border to the nearest town for a, a coffee and then back again to get your stamp. Right. Well, okay. Since, since I've been married, obviously, I, I can stay here. And I haven't been to Chile for about four years, and it's only 35 kilometers away. So um, it would be good to make some links so that I would have a reason to, to go over there. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. And so when, how was it that you moved away from being a teacher and towards mentoring the teachers who were coming over? Was it a natural progression? Was it something that uh, you were attracted to do? How did you get involved in that? 
Right. So when I was a teacher, um, I was the only Welsh person here <laughs> on this side of the of the uh, right. of the country. Um, I had two colleagues who were here for a year as well, one in Gaiman and one in Trelew, but you yeah. know that's six hundred miles away. So right. um, it was it was a little bit lonesome. And at that time, um, the International Education Projects Department didn't really have a lot to do with the Welsh. It, it was a more of a, what do you say, an administrative role than a, right. than a caring role. So, so the teachers finished, were sent over and sort of left to their own devices, were they? Pretty much so, yes. <laughs> um, no. There were There is a, a person here called uh, Lynette Gonzalez, who if anybody has been to Patagonia, they've probably met her. She's now in her mm, late 80s. Um, but she has been a powerhouse of the project and she has been a mentor to to everybody who's who's come here. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, she, she's Argentinian. <laughs> and so right. sometimes there are things that you feel, you know, oh, uh, only somebody who comes from Wales would understand the frustration with queues, for example, you know. Uh, yeah. Why do we have to do such long queues for everything? You know, the Argentinians must love queuing because they they will stand in this queue for hours. And right. um, you know, for a moment, brought... for a moment there, Claire, I thought you were talking about queue the letter, and I was trying to work out whether queue the <laughs> pronunciation of queue is very problematic. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> now, now I know what you mean. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so. Um, when I finished my third year of teaching and, you know, quite rightly, let somebody else have a go at it, yeah. uh, the academic monitor of the project at that point said it would be good to have somebody uh, as a, an annex between Wales and Argentina who understands the teaching uh, and can help, you know, both teachers who come from Wales and the local teachers. So that's when I began to do that. And as far as uh, teaching goes, I, I've always kept my hand in because the local tutors are, are brilliant. You know, they, they teach classes yeah. um, for very little recognition uh, and they do it because of the love of the language and so on. Um, but they get scared when they get to C1 and C2 level <laughs> and they say, you know, Why is oh, that? We, we, we don't feel... Um, sufficiently fluent or you know confident oh, really? to teach that okay. which is which is understandable in a way because you know they're using their language very often with with uh, school pupils so you know the, right. the demand for the the grammar and the vocabulary that goes with a, a higher level is is not there so mm -hmm. um i've ended up teaching a um a, a group a, a c2 group and it's fantastic because again um it's a pyramid, isn't it? When you start language learning, there are a lot of yeah. people start off on the journey and then the, the next year they realize how hard it is and, and it gets smaller and smaller. Well, of course, the pyramid hasn't allowed the small communities here to have a C2 group. You know, there might right. be a, a person or two people uh, who want to learn at that level. Um, even though there are more people who speak at that level, but you know, to actually study is another thing, isn't it? And again, going online has meant that we've been able to get those people together. So you mentioned Bariloche before. Mm. Uh, one of our pupils is in, in Bariloche. 
there's one in Esquel, two in Trevelin, uh, somebody in Gaiman, uh, somebody in Port Madryn. So we cover the whole province and peek wow. a little bit into the next province. And it's fantastic. It's, it's such an enjoyable class because we've got people who uh, are speakers but have never studied, and especially not at that level. And we've got uh, teachers who are teaching and, and want to improve their Welsh to, to be able to teach to teach better. So it's, uh, it's very satisfying to still have that contact with, with the teaching. Um, oh, so I, I enjoy that. <laughs> That's great. And earlier on in our conversation, Claire, you, you mentioned something about Welsh dancing i think it was mm, i wonder yes. i wondered about the apart from the language what are the kind of cultural um practices and and the welsh gigs of course um <laughs> are going on do you find that there's a lot of interest in, in in welsh culture as well and how how does that manifest itself yes uh well one of the the things that uh, the welsh brought with them was obviously the the chapel and so throughout the province of Chubut, there are Welsh chapels in the valley and over here in the in the Andes. And um, they still have services in them, not every week, but, uh, you know, on a, right. a, a monthly basis, they would be used for that. So, so that's one thing that people get involved in. Uh, then there are dance groups in each of the, the, the places in Trevelin, Esquel, Porth Madryn, Gaiman, Trelew. Um, there are dancing groups, which is, is great because it's an expression of Welsh culture. It's a way of learning, you know, some vocabulary uh, and just having good fun because Argentinians love to dance, too. Right. <laughs> and it's not just tango. <laughs> so um, the, the dance groups are very well um, supported. Uh, there is uh, there are choirs, um, again, who sing mm -hmm. in, in Welsh and Spanish. Uh, and still do the the, the old hymns and uh, and so on. Um, we have singing festivals called Kaman Vagani, which uh, people meet in the chapel to sing hymns. We still have those here in, in Patagonia. And the Eisteddfod. I don't know if if you or the listeners know the Eisteddfod. Uh, it's right. It's the the Welsh cultural festival. So we have mm. in, in Wales most towns would have their own Eisteddfod and um, there is a national Eisteddfod once a year mm. and it's just uh, it's just about everything that you can do in Welsh. The, the uh, stage competitions have singing, dancing, recitation, uh, instrumental music, solos, choirs, you know, uh, the big prizes are given for poetry, so uh, mm -hmm. poetry that is written by the bard uh, and there are different prizes there is a, a chair which is one of the the prizes for written poetry another one is the crown um, and then there is a medal for the best novel so that happens in wales and of course the the welsh settlers brought that with them and so we have eisteddfod here in patagonia so um, wow. the trevelin eisteddfod happens in april there is a Porth Madryn Eisteddfod in August, there is a youth Eisteddfod in September, and there is a, a Chubut Eisteddfod where we all get together in October. And so 
it's absolutely fantastic because you have this mix of Welsh culture, you know, Welsh songs and Welsh dancing and recitation. And then you have uh, the, the similar thing in Spanish. And so there is a tango competition and, and there is a folk oh, wow. dancing, Argentinian folk dancing competition. So I think I, I like that fusion of culture very much because I think, uh, you know, people may have this idea that Wales is is somewhere where the, the, the you know, the, the history is set like this and it's not changing. It, it's changing all the time. And, you know, to, in order to survive, you have to, uh, I was going to say mutate. No, that's the wrong word, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Trans- transform or adapt. Yes. or adapt. Yeah. So that's it. You can't, you can't fight against the changes. Um, and so here in, in Argentina, in Chubut, in Patagonia, the Eisteddfod the has done that. It's incorporated, you know, the best from two cultures and, and put it together. And it's a, it's a wonderful festival. So uh, if you're ever down in Patagonia, in Trelew in October, it's uh, a, a long weekend of culture, which is, which is great. Uh, I love it. Sounds fantastic. Mm. Wonderful. And um, Claire, moving to um, your own um, personal interest in languages and learning languages, mm-hmm. it's clear that you're very passionate about um, not only Welsh, but the idea of uh, learning languages, the benefits of, mm-hmm. of studying and speaking other languages as a, you know English, Welsh and Spanish speaker and uh, you told me that you've also studied French and Portuguese. What do you? What would you say to people who um, who might be interested in uh, in in learning another language? How would they? How should they go ahead and get started, etc.? Well, it's interesting because you mentioned the three languages that I use on a daily basis, <laughs> which I think yeah. I'm incredibly privileged to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And it does make life interesting, I have to say. Um, sometimes I find I can't find the word in any of the three languages, but anyway, that's by the <laughs> by. Um, my, my experiences of learning those languages, each one was different because obviously I learned English in my, in my family. Uh, it was my mother tongue. Yeah. I learned Welsh in a in a school situation, so quite formal. Um, and at that time, it was learning the the verb conjugations like a parrot, you know, mm-hmm. and repeating them. Radui ruiti mai or mai he redini redhi mine who, which is another way of doing it. And then mm-hmm. my third experience was learning uh, Spanish here by living the language because i i came out here with a very small smattering of tourism spanish so mm-hmm. i could ask where the hotel was but <laughs> i wasn't sure if you gave me an answer whether i'd be able to follow the directions um and each of the experiences were very different and they they had their their advantages and disadvantages um i think depending on the the person some people like the mathematical um, learning the verbs and all the verb tenses. And I thought I was like that until I started learning Spanish. And I realized that my necessity to communicate <laughs> outweighed my embarrassment at not being able to conjugate verbs correctly. Wonderful. And um, <laughs> and so I rapidly lost my embarrassment and, and you know, just tried to forge ahead. And so 
I, I think I would say to anybody, uh, you know, find something that makes you feel, yes, I'm, I'm learning, I'm progressing, whether that's a class, whether it's an online class, a face-to-face -face class, because not everybody adapted to, to online classes either. You know, some people need that personal one-to-one -one yeah. or face-to-face -face, um, and other people don't, you know, and it, it depends. But the one thing I would say is if you're going to make a use of it, you've got to want to communicate. And... Um, you know, however little you've got, uh, use it. Um, because I, I see some people say, oh, you know, I, I can't put a sentence together like I can in Spanish. And, but that's OK, because you only need to be able to put these five words together and you're saying something to somebody in, a, in another language, you know. And I, I think Argentina, because of that thing of one language, one country, it doesn't seem to have a huge emphasis on bilingualism. Um, in fact, our bilingual schools in Chibut are not officially bilingual schools, according to the government. They are multicultural schools. Um, so, you know, this idea of learning another language is, for some people, it's quite a, quite a novel idea. But I would say uh, in Wales, for example, we can all speak English. You know, nowadays it would be very, yeah. very strange if you could find somebody who was so locked away from culture, uh, modern culture and social media and so on, that they couldn't speak English. Well, here it's the same, that everybody speaks Spanish. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, why, why bother learning Welsh? Um, but you have to put yourself into that situation and pretend <laughs> that you can't do it any other way and, and use what you've got. However yeah. little that might be, you know, just just yeah. go for it. And the other thing that I like about Argentinians, they laugh with you. <laughs> I don't Not think they you. laugh yeah. at you. No, uh, I can remember very early on, I wanted to play some board games with my students when I was a teacher uh, here in Escal. Yeah. And so I learned the word for dice um, from the dictionary and I walked around to the toy shop and I said in my best French, uh, uh, French, Spanish, uh, yo quiero dedos. And the <laughs> guy behind, yes, you understand Spanish. So. Yeah. <laughs> the, Sorry. The, the guy behind Go the ahead. counter looked at me with a kind of suspicious look and he said, eh, como? <laughs> what? <laughs> and I, I was sure that I'd learned this word properly. So I, I told him again, dedos. And he burst out laughing and kind of whittled his fingers at me and said, these are dedos. Um, what you want are dados. And, you know, just one little vo vowel of difference. And yeah. uh, I'd made a fool of myself. But the, the fact that he laughed, you know, it just broke the ice of, of that moment. And, yes. and I, I've never forgotten the word for fingers or the word for dice. That was one of, of the course. first things I learned. And I, I want yeah. Anyone learning Spanish, I was going to say, anyone learning Spanish, kind of sometime, well, most a lot of people learning Spanish make the mistake of putting the wrong um, vowel on the end of the word for chicken in Spanish, which uh, uh -huh. is very embarrassing. Oh, you never forget that. <laughs> yeah. no. The translation is very different. Yes. <laughs> No, but uh, I, I think now, nowadays, the idea of, of being bilingual uh, or more than bilingual 
it is something more common, isn't it? And yeah. you know, I'm glad I'm glad to be part of that um, majority yeah. who speak more than one language. It's it seems that there's sort of a a, a real polarization that I can that I can see. There is a kind of increase in interest in learning languages and you just see from the proliferation of uh, language learning apps for example um mm. there's a need but then there's also this other um uh, group of people i think who are really they think that it's not necessary anymore because mm. perhaps that technology is advancing sufficiently that maybe we'll get to the point where we can use uh automatic translation on our phones or through some other mm. way. I don't know what you think about that. Oh, I find that a, a very scary prospect because uh, mm. the, the most fantastic uh, computer, as far as I'm concerned, is the human brain. And yeah. the, the the benefits of learning languages have been proven, you know, the, the, uh, oh, the yeah. staving off uh, Alzheimer's and things like that. And just in general, you know, I feel switching from one language to another keeps me keeps me ticking over. And uh, the idea oh, I feel that the same way. Mm, the idea that artificial intelligence might replace that, I think that's a that's a scary prospect. Uh, and yeah. I, yeah, I don't I mean, I don't think I don't think it will, to be honest, I'm I, I kind of veer on the side of the optimistic side because i think it's not just about being able to uh, automatically put out of your mouth um mm. words in a different foreign language it's it's that richness it's that feeling that you know if you if you do invest the time in learning a language and and practicing it then it the benefits are not only for the brain but the way you feel and think changes as well um Yes, Sorry. and here the the idea of um, you're part of a community, you know, by by speaking that language, you're you're in this tribe, you know, and this tribe, this Welsh tribe, is is here in Argentina and in Wales and in other places around the world where there are pockets of of people who who speak the language, and that's much more important than than the actual what you say isn't it it's 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 the whole relationship that you build by saying it and and i see this all the time um uh, the other day my my husband is a is a tour guide he's a, he works with tourists mm -hmm. and he was in the national park here we have a beautiful national park i'll put in a plug for it los alerces it has some of the oldest trees on the planet in it wonderful and uh, he was walking down a path and coming towards him were these people who were obviously Welsh. <laughs> he has seen enough uh, Welsh people to know. And yeah. so even though he doesn't speak Welsh, he greeted them in Welsh and said, hello, Pananda. And these people, their jaws dropped, you know, that you're in the middle of this Patagonian forest and this Argentinian greets you in, in Welsh. And he said they, they stopped and they wanted to ch chat with him and they wanted to photograph with him because they couldn't believe that they... And, and yeah. so it's it's so much more than than just words, isn't it? Oh yeah, <laughs> you're, you're never going to get that reaction if you do that using a machine attached to your ear or exactly. mouth, etc. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely not. However, I did mm. I did just check because one of the things I was I, I'm kind of interested in the uh, in in language learning technology, for example, mm. um, and I did check. And I found that you can actually have conversations with ChatGPT in Welsh now. I don't know if you knew <gasps> that. 
No, I didn't. Yeah. Oh, so there's a there's a YouTube video that shows you how to do that because now that you have right. text to speech and ChatGPT can actually recognize uh, what you say and turn it into text as well. You can have these conversations. Um, so I wonder if it, for additional practice, this offers anyone learning a language the opportunity to, to have um, instant access um, and responses um, mm -hmm. in the language that they're learning, which I think is an additional thing can only be a good thing for me. Yes, definitely. The, I, I think in some ways, you know, uh, English is at the forefront of language learning, language teaching, isn't it? And I think sometimes uh, Welsh has been a little bit left behind. And so something like that, it's, it's only, it can only be good. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd give it a go. I don't know how good it is, mm. of course, but I, I've tried it for English and you get pretty good um, responses <laughs> from it. And oh. I um I think uh, it could be a way of, of, a, of uh, as I said, of, of someone having additional practice in whatever language yeah. they're learning. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the idea, yeah. Okay, well, um, Claire, coming to an end um, mm. uh, of our time now, but um, is there anything else we haven't talked about that you think may be of interest to the listeners about what? Uh, about your work or your interests um well i i mean on a personal basis i could say that um when i got sent to the andes it was the right place for me because i'm a i'm a very outdoor person so yeah. it was the it was the perfect thing because gaiman is a, a small town um it's on the edge of the the steppe on the edge of the desert and chances to do things, you have to go a long way to, to climb a mountain, for example. Whereas here in the Andes, we've got lots on our doorstep. So the, the actual lifestyle is, is very, it's, it's a very nice lifestyle. And I think that also reflects in, in the way that people come to the, to the lessons, to the school. You know, it's, it's part of this healthy lifestyle where they're, yeah. they're living outdoors. Yeah and so on and and i hope that that continues you know i hope we don't lose it as as the towns are getting bigger i hope we don't lose that connection with with nature and uh, you know the kind of the relaxed kind of lifestyle but that's pretty latino as well isn't it you know you can yeah. make somewhere relaxed but it's definitely uh, patagonia is definitely not like living in a in a big city which has its drawbacks because whenever you want to get anywhere it takes you a long time you you suddenly remember that you're at the at the foot of the world but that's what preserved the welsh language so um you know being so far away from other influences helped keep the language and so i i kind of hope that that, that that will continue and the developments that we've seen from a, a project that originally just uh, taught adults we've now got three primary schools involved where there are 150 pupils in each school learning uh, you know their subjects in, in spanish and then a fair amount in, in welsh too so you know it's something that uh, we need the contact with the, the world but we hope that the, the the bad influences don't don't come and that we can carry on with this uh, this nice laid back Patagonian lifestyle. 
Yeah, that's wonderful. And so it does, it definitely sounds like the Welsh language is alive and thriving um, in Patagonia. Is that also the case in other countries that you know about in other parts of the world? Or is Patagonia a very special, unique place because of that? Oh, I, yeah, I think it's absolutely unique because um, the Welsh went all the way around the world. You know, there were mm-hmm. lots of Welsh emigrating to, to North America, to Australia, to New Zealand. Um, but what happened was that the English were so strong that any local languages brought by the, the settlers were pretty much wiped out pretty quickly and everybody spoke English. Um, whereas here, the Welsh were alone for such a long time that they, they mm-hmm. managed to, to keep the language until much more recently. So as long as we keep on with this idea that, you know, two languages is better than one mm-hmm. uh, and people uh, are persuaded to learn a second language, uh, I think this is going to be a unique part of the world for, for some time to come. I, I know that I have a cousin who lives in, in Melbourne in Australia, mm-hmm. and I know that she gives Welsh classes, but it's it's a small group of people, you know, it's not it's not the, the communities with the, with the link to the, the geographical location. So uh, I think this is a unique place and uh, the project is unique as well, because uh, we're very grateful that uh, every every three years the, the funding question comes up and we we hope that it's going to be funded for another year. And we've been doing that for 26 years now. So um, we we hope that it will carry on because it's it's an example to Wales as well, that these people who have, you know, no, uh, well, as I said before, no ep- economical reasons for learning the language are doing so because because they love it, because they, they love the language and, and the benefits that it brings. So uh, I really hope that that will continue for a, for a long time to come. Yeah, well, it sounds like there are good arguments for why uh, that should mm. it should continue, and it doesn't sound like it, it's probably not a lot of money for the kind of uh, <laughs> impact that it's having as well. Being able to do that, and also what you said before was that the the towns are expanding, the interest in the Welsh language is expanding uh, where you are as well. So that can only be a good thing. Yes, yes. As long as the people come with open minds, that's that's fine. We're, we're going to be able to keep on doing what we're doing in the school. The, the school here is is growing next year. We're going to have a, a first intake of secondary. So oh, wow. you know, that's quite exciting. And it's, it's another challenge. Um, we need we need more teachers. So uh, but um, Yes, it will be a new project and a, a new challenge for the for the community. But it, it just goes to show because it's a community project and the, the British Council sends the teacher who will, will help with that project. But, uh, you know, the community is what has to run the, the, the everyday yeah. hard work. Um, so it's, it shows that the community is interested in, in the, that kind of education, which is a special kind of education because it includes so much more than just the language, of course. Of course. And, uh, well, I imagine they're very lucky to have someone like you there as well uh, to provide that <laughs> consistency of, uh, you know, the link to, to Wales, the consistency of the project as well, um, rather than just having uh, – uh, rotating number of teachers coming every year. I think that that is probably uh, quite crucial, even though you might not want to recognize it yourself, but I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. 
Oh, I, I would like to think so. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. So, Claire, thank you very, very much for your time. I've, I've been fascinated hearing more about this. I did know about it uh, before, but only on a very superficial level. So thanks for reaching out and suggesting we have a, a chat about it because uh, I feel uh, really energized that this is happening and, and that it's going so well. So and congratulations to you and all, all the other teachers and the community for all the hard work to make it, a, to, for making it happen. I think it's great to hear this happening. Oh. Well, thank yeah. you very much for giving me the space to, to witter on about things that I find fascinating and uh, exciting. And I'm, yes, I am passionate about it. Yeah. No, pleasure talking to you and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you very much, and you. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, -face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. So that brings us to the end of today's Twilight Show. Many thanks to today's special guest, Claire Vaughan, and all of you who joined us live. Really enjoyed talking to Claire. There's so much happening there. It's uh, fascinating to get an insight into uh, into the wonderful work that she and the other teachers are doing and the community out there. It's really, really great to hear. I hope you feel the same way. And so that's it from me. There are Teachers Talk radio shows all week on all manner of interesting topics so please listen in live or back to the recordings when they're made available which will be the case with this recording very soon as well and i hope you will join me next week at the same time bye for now you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.